as we look this morning about how Jesus came calling and the difference between what it means to be part of the crowd and what it means to be a part of the call. It's good seeing you all here this morning. And um, I just you, you saw a little bit of it in the bulletin, but I just wanted just to say right up front as everybody's getting settled that um, there's about 15 or 20 of you that came over to support over at uh, Calvary Church um, in Inglewood when I gave that little talk on uh, on Spurgeon. I was really thankful to see all of you, and I know there are others of you that watched as well. Um, Mark provided a fantastic environment, and it was just another reminder for me that uh, we all have a part to play in the environment of the room, and Mark really helped me in, uh, in being able to do that, and I hope that we're able to help each other in being able to receive what God has for us in His Word. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand as we read His Word together. Uh, Mark chapter 3, again, starting in verse 7 and going to verse 21. This is what God has for us this morning. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up into the mountain and called to him those who he desired. And and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, and that is the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. May God add his blessing to his holy and perfect word. You may be seated. Majority of us, um, we live in obscurity. Um, Not too many people, maybe outside of our own little realm, know of who we are. And even if we work, there may be some people who have that extra layer of understanding and knowledge of who we are. But we are not like those A or B list celebrities. I don't know what it would be like to have someone be camped outside of your house with a camera ready for a juicy headline or a juicy picture of how you might look at 7.30 in the morning going out to get your newspaper. I could not imagine that. I would not want that all over the place. But sadly, there are people who have that type of, of popularity to where they cannot find a moment's peace. And so it's understandable when every so often there may be people when they get this confrontation to where they may not act nicely and then that gives the uh, the, the press another headline to be able to say how nasty these people are. Well, I don't know how we would be if someone was obviously coming and encroaching in our space all the time if we would be able to hang together very well. And this is why I am so impressed with Jesus. We have to remember this, Jesus is fully God, but we also have to remember that he was fully man as well. And all the issues, he was someone who who got tired, and he was someone who's hungry, and he was thirsty, and he was also someone, as we 
talk about today who would be betrayed and denied and would feel that and he would be one who would be subject to death one day on that good friday he and he would be raised again but he was subject to all of the things and in fact the bible tells us that he was tempted in every way that we are and yet he was without sin but the fact is he was tempted in every way that we are he he dealt with everything that we deal with and yet he never caved he never gave way he was never nasty. He would never tell people, leave me alone. He would never run anybody off if there would be interruptions. And it's just amazing that Jesus was like that. But think about the people that were approaching him. We're going to look at three groups of people this morning, of, of people that were approaching him. And the, the people that were coming from all over, we'll talk a little bit about that in case we're not uh, geographically astute about the times of Jesus. Um, we'll see where all these people came from. But then we also see at the end that... Um, his family and friends had some thoughts about who he was and, and what he was all about and were very concerned about who he is. But then Jesus, he opts to call these 12 to be close to him, to help bear the load of ministry. And rather this be just a history lesson, the question is for us is that are we a part of the crowd? Are we just ones who are wanting something from Jesus and that's it? Jesus, you gave that to me. Thank you very much. I'm on my way. Or are we going to be a part of the concerned about people who are really living for Jesus and really out there about Jesus and we're telling people, hey, you need to take it easy. You need to calm down. You're way out of step with what the world is. People are going to think bad of you. They're going to think that you're crazy. They're going to think that you're insane. They're going to think you're mad. Or are we going to be like the ones who are the crowd where recognizing that we are called? That we as followers of Jesus, Jesus has called us to live in a covenant community with him and to live in a covenant community with each other. Not to be mere hanger-ons, but to be right there with him. Right there living for him, not just getting something from him. Well, first, let's look at the crowd. And the crowd asks this, what can Jesus do for me? What can Jesus do for me? And so we look at this in verse 7. Let's go back and revisit that as well. I know it wasn't that long ago that I read it, but it's good to have it be reminded to us again. Where it says that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And look at how many times this talks about a great crowd. A great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When you look at this passage, you look and, and you see that, yeah, Jesus, that was around his area, Galilee and Judea. Jerusalem and Idumea was a little bit further south. And then it talks about from beyond the Jordan, east of the Jordan. So there were people that were coming from way over there, even as far north as Tyre and Sidon. And you may remember, if you uh, read through the Old Testament, that those from Tyre and Sidon would come to hear about the wisdom of Solomon. And the people from Tyre and the king of Tyre actually gave Solomon some furniture to help in, in populating and furnishing the temple. So these things go way back. But here Jesus, and the thought was, is that there were thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people that were just trying to get at Jesus. But what, what do we see here about what Jesus is doing first? It says in verse 7 that Jesus withdrew. He had time alone. He had time by himself. Again, fully God, but also fully man. He needed that time alone with his Father. And that's not something that we, 
We do, in fact, that's not often a high value from other people. In fact, someone uh, named uh, Ann Marl Lindbergh noted this, that anything else will be accepted as a better excuse. If, some, if one sets aside time for a business appointment, a trip to the hairdresser, a social engagement, or a shopping expedition, that time is accepted as inviolable. But if one says, I cannot come because that is my hour to be alone. One is considered rude, egotistical, or strange. What a commentary on our civilization that when one has to apologize for it, make excuses for it, and hide the fact that one practices it like a secret vice. And I thought about that. That's true. That's true. I think if, if, if we want to do something with someone or someone wants to do something with us and we say, you know, well, I've actually scheduled that time to be by myself, we, we may feel like that someone's just blowing us off. But those are important, and I would even suggest to you that you schedule those times by yourself like you would schedule anything else. Schedule it and, and hold to it because we need those times. We have people pulling at us all the time. We need to have those times by ourselves. And we live in a very materialistic society. We don't think about taking care of our inner being and our inner soul too much. We have a, live in a materialistic society where happiness is found not in the quietude of a relationship with God, but our, our happiness is found in externals and the accumulation of such. It reminds me of that old man who was talking to his son standing in front of a very full garage in that garage, and, he, and it's, it's a New Yorker cartoon, and he looks to his son, he says, someday, son, all of this will be yours. And that's what we do. We accumulate stuff because we feel like that there is a hole there that will help fill that. And in reality, that hole that is there may just need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. I would say yes, would need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. He gives us all that we need. In our day, we see people asking the question, what can Jesus do for, do for me? Excuse me, Kate Bessler, who was an author of Blessed, the, um, the History of the American Prosperity Gospel. She's also a professor at Duke Divinity University. She noted that really that many TV preachers, which she calls mainly motivational speakers, they rely on the formula of right thinking, right speaking, and that God has to act and prosper you materially with those words that you say, whether it's health or wealth. And that system is so airtight that if something goes wrong, if you believe in that system that something goes wrong for you, it's not because your system of thinking is wrong, it's because you're not exercising enough faith. And so we end up moving forward, and it's a demonstration that God is faithful only in the material things, that the spiritual stuff, no, I'm not interested in that. I want what I want right now. And so that's why Jesus withdrew is because it was a reminder for us, but also it was something for him. And the Pharisees and the Herodians who were, one was, a, was, a, was supposed to be spiritual and one was supposed to be secular, but they end up joining forces because they did not like what Jesus was doing to them. Jesus was messing with their reputation. Jesus was messing with the fact that they were to be the number one. And now all of these people are following him. We've got to do something about this. He's not playing by our rules. And so the old adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, is very true. But he withdrew. But that didn't stop the crowds from coming. They came from all over. And even the ones who were possessed by demons, Jesus again was having to deal with the fact that when the unclean spirits, verse 11, saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God, and Jesus told them to hush. Because again, in that understanding is that if the adversary identifies your name, then he has sway over you. 
And so that's why Jesus was constantly telling them, don't say anything. All of the miracles that Jesus did and all the crowd that would come would come because they saw Jesus do something cool and hoped that he would do something cool for them. In John 6, 26, about the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus answered the crowd, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you're not coming to me because of any spiritual reality that I can bring to you. You're just coming to me because I helped fill your belly, or I helped heal your wound, or I helped do this, or I helped you do that physically, and that's all that people are interested in. Is that you? Are you coming to church because you think if I come to church, then I'll be able to get this job this week? If I come to church, well, then, uh, you know, God's going to see the great stuff that I'm doing. And God, you have to give me that A in class. You have to do this. You have to make my wife like me. You have to make my husband like me. Is that why you come is because you're wanting something out of Jesus? And I'm telling you, he's got something for you. But it may not be exactly what you're asking. His trajectory is a little more long-term than Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday. His trajectory is a long-term trajectory. And even some of the hard things that you may be going through, Jesus is teaching you a lesson and helping you to develop those obedience muscles in the midst of all of that so that you can persevere. Because our best life is not now. Our best life is coming If our best life is now, then that means that the next life that we have is hell. Our best life, Jesus is preparing us for something greater in the midst of all of these things that are going on. Crowds are consumers. And that's not what Jesus called us to be as mere consumers of, of material issues. Well, let's jump down to look at verses 20 and 21, and we're going to see another crowd that's there. It's a smaller crowd, significantly smaller crowd, number two, where it talks about how there was about the concerned. What's wrong with Jesus? Verse 20 says, then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, and so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. His own family, and other places it talks about his friends as well, thought that there was something wrong with Jesus, that he is out of his mind. This is not a usual occurrence. This was not something that is, that is a normal thing. And so that's what, we, that's what strikes us. You would think that his own family would get it, but how many of you, you may have come, grown up in a family that didn't go to church, didn't know anything about Jesus, and you became sold out for Christ? Was there a difference in the dynamic of your family? Was there a d- difference in the dynamic in your family reunions? Was there a difference? Well, if you were vocal about your faith, then yes, there would be a difference. You might see people be like, oh my goodness, look at the time, I've got to go. They don't want to be around you anymore. Or they want to tell you, they want you to stop being, quit being a fanatic. Those were words that I remembered hearing. And I couldn't, uh, I, 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 I didn't understand it, but now I do. It's because this system is about self in this world. And, and when you have Jesus coming along saying, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, that is cutting right against the design. And look at all of the things that the Bible is telling us about, the, about God's design for things. And is the world careening away from every bit of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we have to make sure that we are, we are staying true. Because if we're told we're crazy or insane or mad or out of our mind or a fanatic and we get told that enough 
and we're not keeping our eyes on Christ, but we start lowering our gaze and start looking at what other people are starting to think about us, you know what's going to happen? We're going to get tired of being told we're out of our mind or insane. We're going to get tired that our reputation is going to be besmirched as it is. No, what we want to do is we're going to want to fit in because it's wearying. That's why we have those old hymns, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. That's why we have those, you know, your life's a book before their eyes. They're seeing it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? That's why we have these hymns and these songs that are being sung over and over. And the word that is being preached to tell you to hang on. To hang in there, because even if your family comes along, Jesus even said that um, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Because they remember little Jesus running around. And they remember, you know, that he, he was actually a kid. He was actually a child, and then he grew up. And some of you, when you become a Christian, and you're going to go back to those family reunions, they're going to remind you of who you were when you were the little three, four, five-year-old kid that was getting into everything, and they're not going to take you seriously. Just be ready for that. Because even if they don't take you seriously, you need to be taking Christ seriously. Live in a joy that does not, it is not based upon and tethered upon people's reaction to you. And I have to preach that to myself because I enjoy people. I love being around people. And honestly, there's a little piece of me that wants to belong. But I realize there's always going to be that line. There's always going to be that threshold. And I have to worry. It's got to be enough that Jesus is enough. It has to be enough there. See, when the Apostle Paul went through this as well. When he was standing before he got arrested, he's standing before King Agrippa. And he begins to share the gospel with King Agrippa. And you know what King Agrippa says? Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. That's, that's in um, Acts 19. Uh, verses, verse 24, just so you know, I'm not making that up. And what did Paul say? I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus. He's talking to Festus now. I am speaking the true and rational words for the king knows about these things to him. I, I speak boldly for, of, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for he has not for this has not been done in a corner. I used to know how to read. I apologize for that. I really used to know how to read. But the idea here is that Paul brings up a point. He's like, Festus, you know this. You're trying to say I'm out of my mind, and you're trying to gaslight me here, but I'm not. I'm, I'm not out of my mind. You've seen it. You're the one that's in denial. And a lot of the people that may come against us, they may come against us and try to silence us, is because they know what we are saying is true, and they don't want to deal with it. But I'm saying to you, if that's you, and you're part of that one who are calling out these Christians crazy, calling family and friends of Christians crazy, I want you to take just a, just a breath, a beat, and just ask yourself, why am I reacting like this? Why am I not just reacting like, okay, that's what you feel? Okay, doop 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 do Why are you reacting like that? Is there something about what's being said that is bringing, there's a biblical word that's called conviction. And that's when the Holy Spirit is there and basically squeezing your heart and squeezing your soul to bring it to your attention that there's something that is going on that is in you that shouldn't be in you, but he loves you enough to bring that out of you and bring you out of that. You see? You have to ask yourself why you react in, in certain ways. For instance, when I th- think about fanatics, my mom, now, you, how many of you have met my mom? 
Well, you're going to in May because they're coming out for Holly's graduation. Mom, about five foot two, a buck oh five. She's a, she's a little lady, but I'm telling you, my brother and I were talking. My, my sister's getting ready to be 65. My brother's 64, and now I'm in my 50s, and we're sitting there talking. And it's interesting as we're talking about this that this little lady has been really the backbone of our family. She really has because she has always been one. Dad didn't come to Christ until much later in life. Mom was the steady drumbeat. And she always seemed like, felt like that she was out of step with all of the other parents at the PTA and, and all of that. But the reason she was is because she loved Jesus. And there were just certain things about that that she's like, I don't want to be a part of that because I love Jesus and I want you to love Jesus. And, you know, I've had a lot of influences in my life, pastors and, well, Spurgeon, you heard, some of you heard about that. Those people are way in second place compared to my mom because I saw my mom live it every single, single day, every day. I saw her live that. And people would call her a fanatic. She would tell me this. I never heard it, but she would say people would call her a fanatic just because she loved Jesus and she wanted to live for Jesus. And she stayed true. And she's 85. And she has stayed true. And I love that. So I, I came across a, an article um, in it's a 2013 Decision Magazine article about Billy Graham. So this was way late in his life because Billy Graham just died a few years ago. He said, it. In its reaction to the gospel, the world of our day has changed little from the world of Paul's day. A true Christian will always be considered strange, unique, crazy, and at times even insane. Let us have this madness. I love that. Let's have it. Let's lean into it. Let's embrace it. Let's embrace the fact that the world thinks that we're this way. Let us capture some of the magnificent obsession that these early Christians had. Let us go forth as men and women filled with the Spirit of God. So when you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be like, that's great, I get it, wow. No, they may, they may just, I, I think sometimes what's worse, you tell me, which is worse, someone just coming at you in hatred or someone that you love being apathetic? I think that's, I think that's tough. I think for me it's tough that someone that I care about would be apathetic about the things I care about because you want to see him trust Christ and see the Christ that you have. But that doesn't mean we back off. That means we still live and we still love and we still speak and we still teach about who he is. Well, this last part is very, very pertinent for us as well as we get back to verses 13 to 19. And here Jesus is going up on a mountain. And every time that Jesus goes up on a mountain with his disciples, there's something significant that's going on. This is, this is a rabbi who is now getting ready to unload his rabbi teaching to his followers. And it says in verse 13, let's go back there. It says, he went up to the mountain, called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the 12 to whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out, send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Really, I can read, I promise. But so what's happening here with Jesus? Okay, so Jesus there is a difference now between the crowd that's just piling in, Jesus, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And now this. So Jesus is bringing his disciples up. And there is a difference. Remember, with rabbis, if someone wanted to be a follower of a rabbi, they would have to submit an application. 
right? And so if you're wanting to get a job, then you get, up, you get on certain websites and you put those things in and then it sends it out to everybody. Well, that's kind of what was going on here is that they would send in applications to this particular rabbi and the rabbi would go through the applications and I'll take him, not so much, not so much, I'll take him. And it was the rabbis and, and, it, and it, was the, it was initiated by the ones who wanted to follow. That's not what happened here. Jesus is a different type of rabbi. He initiated it. And I would submit to you that that's what he does for us as followers of Jesus. He initiates it. Now, we sing songs, I have decided to follow Jesus. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. But how do we know that we needed to decide to follow Jesus? I believe the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work in us and move in us. I've told you this before. When I was about the last day of vacation Bible school in July of 1982, 10, almost 11, and I knew for months that I needed to trust in Jesus, but I could just, I, I, I didn't. I didn't make that call at the end. And it was like the last day of vacation Bible school. It was like the Lord just bapped me on the hindquarters and said, now. And all of a sudden I'm going up and I'm, now I'm talking to, 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 to Pastor Foster. And I'm, wow, how did I get here? But I knew that God had already been moving in me, working in me, making me realize, making me realize that if I were to die, I would be going to hell. I knew that. But yet, but it was in his time that he brought me. He was working in me and he brought me and I came to Christ 10 years old. Never thought I would be standing up in front of a bunch of people doing this 40 years later. But here we are, because that, you never know what God is going to do, but it starts there. And I believe that God is still moving and working, and that fuels our evangelism. Knowing that God is moving and working and changing, in heart, changing hearts, and that we get to be a part of the process of telling other people about the goodness and the faithfulness and the ability of Jesus? I mean, what, what, is, what is better than that? And so there is the difference here between a crowd that's a consumer of Jesus, and number three, let's get that third one up there, and the called. Jesus is calling us. And I think one of the things that has got to be vital for us as, as Arapahorodians, right? As, as, as people who are part of Arapaho Road, I don't know where that came from, that's okay. But as people who are part of Arapaho Road, and followers of Jesus, you, we have to act as if we've been called out of this world. Not simply stamped to go to heaven and then we can live like we want. We have been called out of this world. The word church is, is, is translated from the word ekklesia. Ek, ekklesia, called out once. We have been called out from this world. We have, we have been called out from this world, not to be a part of this world, but to be in it, but not of it. We are operating by a different system, not the Babylon system that Revelation 17 talks about. We're operating by a system that is of another country. We are not ultimately citizens of this country. We, this country is citizenship number two. We are citizens of heaven. That's our first citizenship. And when we get that and we realize we've been called out and we've been called to be different and that our commander-in-chief is not ultimately whoever's sitting in the White House or in the governor's mansion, or praise God, because that changes all the time, but there is one who is sitting on the throne of heaven that is unchanging and will never abdicate and you would, and you would not want him to. He's our king. 
And so when we look at these words, and, and um, most everybody that was in youth this morning had been in church world for all, their whole life, I asked them, okay, what does the word Hosanna mean? Right? So we use all these terms. And it means, Lord, save us. That's what Hosanna means. If you got that right, gold star, you'll get it after the service. Yeah, yeah, okay. So apostles. Apostles comes from the, from the Greek word apostello, which means sent ones. So the apostles were now learning. And so Jesus is showing us here that even he needed to, be, needed to withdraw because he needed to pray and find his strength in his heavenly father. But now Jesus is saying, I am not going to bear this ministry by myself. He was preparing them because three years later, two, three years later, he would leave, a Holy Spirit would come, and then all of a sudden these apostles would just scatter. And you look at these apostles. Now Simon, now the book on Simon is, do first, think later. A little wishy-washy. James and, and John, the sons of thunder, well, they would be thundering out for the cause of Christ. You look at Andrew. Andrew is kind of an anonymous guy, but he would be one. Andrew is actually the patron saint of three countries. And so this anonymous guy, all of a sudden, God began to use. Thomas, the skeptic, but God used his skepticism to be someone who was a lion for the faith. In fact, Thomas was the one that was sent to India. And so all over, spread all over, all of them except John the Apostle were martyred. John the Apostle just died on a rock out in the middle of the Mediterranean on Patmos. So it was not an easy life for them, but they were called out. And you consider how scared they were, and we're going to address this a little on Easter, how scared they were when Jesus was in the ground. And then when they saw Jesus alive, be strong and of good courage. That was said all the way back to Joshua, but that was also for the people of that's the people of God now, is that a risen Savior makes us strong and a risen Savior makes us courageous. And that's what we see here. Yes, there's Judas. But the love of Christ to where they did not yet know even up until the end, the love of Christ was such that even all the way up until the end, they did not know who was going to be the one to betray him. But Jesus did, and Jesus gave him all the love that he gave the rest of them. So what do, we do? what do we see here? If you're a Christian, you're not part of this world anymore. You're in it, right? Yeah, we're in it. We're in it. We watch the news. We're in it. We're, 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 we're on the receiving end of a bunch of stuff like this, but it's not of it. And I, and I fear that the reason that this may not be a reality for every one of us in the room is because we don't want to be thought of badly. We don't want people to think ill of us. So we have just enough Jesus to keep us out of trouble with the church people. And we have just enough of the world to have where we have a seat at the table with what the society is saying. And I would say that Jesus is saying, you've been called out. Choose. Right at the very end of Joshua. Choose ye this day whom you'll serve. I learned it in the King James. Thanks, Mom. Right? Choose this day who you'll serve. Yeah, as for me and my house. You know, and we will serve the Lord. And we have to be ones 
who are just realizing, is Jesus worth it to be seen by the world as ridiculous? Ridiculous. That word means open to ridicule. Is he enough for us to where we like, I don't care what anybody thinks. That's a hard place to get to, and I'm still working on it. But I know that's, that's the trajectory. That's where we've got to go. So the takeaways from this I would like for you just to consider as we, as we close. Number one, do you take time away with the Lord to, for prayer for, in the Word? I mentioned this to you earlier. I really would recommend you scheduling that time. Yes, you may have 100 kids at the house. I get it. I get it. You may have a lot of children at the house. You may have a lot of things that need to get done. You may have a lot of stuff that, you know, you don't think can wait and the world's going to stop if you don't get it done. I'm telling you, for your sake, for your sake and for the sake of people that are around you, you need to make sure that you are scheduling and taking that time away. Find it. Some of you do it in the morning, some of you in the evening, some of it in the afternoon, whatever. Jesus would start in the evening, and it would sometimes last until morning. But schedule it like you schedule anything else that's a priority. Do it. If Jesus needed this time, so did we. Secondly, are you connecting with others in ministry, or do you feel like it's all about you and you have to do it yourself? Are you merely a consumer wanting things from everybody else, from your church, or are you looking for for ways that you can serve Jesus? Are you part of the crowd or are you part of the community, that covenant community of a body of believers? Jesus brought people along. Why don't we? I pray that we can. And here's the last one, and I've already talked about it, but I want to leave you with this. Is Christ worthy enough to you to risk being called out of your mind, insane, or mad? Is he, is he worth it? And, and that's not, a, I mean, the, 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 the atmosphere and, and the enthusiasm of the room of the day would be, oh, of course, of course he is. That's what, I'm spo- that's what I'm supposed to say, right? Yeah, of course he is. But you really need to ask yourself, is he worth it? Is he worthy? He is. Is he worthy to you? And maybe during that quiet time, God will begin to show you the reality of that. Vance Havner says that if we don't follow Christ's command to come apart, we may just come apart. I don't want that for you. I'm seeing too many pastors that have fallen off the Christ wagon because of popularity, because of not having a quiet time, because it's turned into a show rather than a service. And we have casualties all over the place. And it's happening to, to people in the pew or people on the stage and people in the pulpit. I don't want that to happen to you. So take care of yourself. Take care of your walk with Christ. Take care of it. I don't want to see you come apart. Christ will hold you together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would guide us in all that we do and say. And Father, I, Lord, Thank you for sending your son to show us the way. Thank you for sending your son not only to show us the way externally, but by your Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord, for sending your son to be the way and to lead the way in us. 
Father, I pray that this would be the morning that we would make so many commitments to you, but the commitment that we pray that everyone here has is that they have thrown off the yoke of this world and of sin and of self, and they have taken up the light yoke of Christ. Come, all you who are weary, and and so many of us are weary by our sin, and we're weary by what society expects of us that we have forgotten about our Savior. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. And Father, if there are those who have trusted in Christ, but maybe they're afraid of getting and going all in because they're afraid of what people are going to think of them. We don't want people thinking bad of us. But Lord, didn't your word say that we are, if we are ashamed of you before men, that you're going to be ashamed of us before the Father in heaven? Didn't your word say that? I don't want to be ashamed. I don't I don't want to be I don't want to come apart, but I know outside of you that's exactly what will happen. But with you, you hold us together. We can have faith of a mustard seed that's so tiny, or we could have the faith of a watermelon seed or just whatever the size seed, but you've called us to have just just the faith of a mustard seed, and you will help that grow. If there's anyone here that does not have faith this morning and is not trusting in Christ, but you're moving them in that direction, Lord, I know what it means to have that heaviness on, on our hearts, but yet not, not move. But maybe this is the morning you're calling someone to move and to publicly profess and say, I am unashamed of Jesus. I don't care what anybody says. They can, they can say, I'm out of my mind. They can say, I'm mad. I don't care. Lord, that's what you're leading us to. What a joy it is to be mad for Christ. Thank you, Father, and may this be the morning that we commit our very all to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing. Wonderful hymn. If you want to use your, um, if you want to use your hymnal, it's 134, but we're also going to have the words up there. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. You know what? Sin had left a crimson